Please stand for the reading of God's word. The word this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, through chapter 4, verse 11. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word.
Father, open our eyes uh, to see uh, the truth of your word this morning. Help us to hear, help us to have understanding, uh, to grow in wisdom and maturity uh, spiritually that we would um, know how to respond to evil and suffering and even to you in ways that are glorifying and pleasing to you and not just ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm about to tell you is a really hard thing to do. It's not easy. In fact, it's, it's next to impossible to do. Um, because when we're wronged or we're hurt, uh, what we want to do is we want to inflict the same amount of pain, right? The same amount of pressure and force. We want to now take that and we want to push it back on to whoever it is that dealt us that pain, right? That's what we want to do. But the gospel changes our response to evil. The gospel changes our response to suffering. The gospel changes our response to God. And so um, this morning we're going to talk about how the gospel changes each of these things. So, so the gospel changes our response to evil. 1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from good and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and, he hear, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, so Peter just, um, he quotes from an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 34, and he does that um, to instruct the righteous to pursue peace, peace. Uh, Now, there's a a difference I want to point out between being a a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is is somebody who just maintains peace, right? There's peaceful circumstances, situations going on, they kind of maintain it. A peacemaker is someone who actively goes out to make peace when there, there ain't any peace, right? Um, to fix and right wrongs uh, when there, there may not be. And being a peacemaker is really hard. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Many Christians, I think, uh, rely more on our own ideas than we do on the Bible. And so, for example... Uh, I think many people believe that you can know that you are doing the right thing if you feel an inner peace about it, right? So if you have this inner calm inside, then it must be the right thing to do. The problem with that, though, is that we can have an inner peace about something and we can still be sinning or we can still be in the wrong. And so that's not a good barometer. That's not a good way to judge a situation. And, um, you know, we, we might feel a a sense of inner peace because we're just avoiding a situation. And so that's where the inner peace springs from. It's because we're avoiding it and and we don't feel the the stressful weight of circumstances on us that make us uncomfortable. And so inner peace seems present when it's not. And so we might think to ourselves, man, I I feel pretty good about this, right? I feel some good inner peace going on. And um, doing what's right might actually give you Feelings that are unpleasant, feelings that are uncomfortable, and uh, you might have knots turning in your stomach sometimes, 
over a certain situation that's going on. And that's the kind of thing that follows obeying hard commands like loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, I would say, right? Dying to self. Those are, those are really hard commands when we hear them. And, and they do give us knots in our stomach because nobody really wants to do that. Um, so instead of relying on our feelings, we have to use the Bible as our guide, right? We have to use the, the scriptures as our, as our guide. And the Holy Spirit will help us understand and, uh, and apply um, and obey the Bible. And if we're going that way, not based on our feelings, uh, but based on God's word, we can be confident, right? We can rest assured that we're walking in God's will even if we don't have a sense of inner peace about it yet. It's not that that won't come. I think it does. But we can't judge everything based on that. So why is responding to evil with good so hard? Why is it hard? It doesn't come naturally to us. That's why it's so hard. Right? Um, when, when somebody is mean to you, I mean, we can go back to the playground experience, right? Somebody throws sand in your face. I'm throwing sand face back, man. You just threw sand in my face, right? That's what's going on. It's going down. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we react. And I mean, as, as mature adults, right, it's the same. <laughs> we we want to throw fire if there's fire thrown at us, right? We want to throw sand in somebody's face if we get sand thrown in our face. Um, that's, that's what we do. Uh, vengeance and evil is what comes naturally to us. Um, what was that in Mark chapter 7 that we went over a couple weeks ago? Do good thoughts and good desires and good things just flow out of our hearts, or is it evil? Which one? Come on. Evil. Yeah, evil stuff comes out. All kinds of word vomit and stuff just comes out of us, and it, we don't know where it's coming from. And, and that's our natural posture. Um, so if we want to respond to evil with good, we have to ask God to put something inside of us that we do not have, right? Something that we don't have naturally. We need a love and a goodness that we don't have to be put inside of us. Um, now remember, First Peter is a letter, and uh, letters would have been read at a, a, you know, all at one time, not just piecemeal like we're doing uh, through this series in First Peter. And, and so the backdrop of what, um, what we've already read um, now months ago in this letter is that if we're in Christ, right, we are, as First Peter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, we're born again to a living hope. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says that we are um, a chosen race. And, and what all of that language means is that our identity is based... Uh, on, on faith in the most amazing news we could ever hear. And that's that, that God has, has brought peace with us through the death and resurrection of his son. That God has been that peacemaker, right? He has sought out peace where there was war, and he's made peace with us through his son. And that's our new identity. So if that's our new identity in Jesus we can actually begin the unnatural work that doesn't come easy to us, right? It's not easy. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but the unnatural work of loving our, our enemies. And so some of you are going, right, well, that's very nice, pastor. That sounds really Christian and such. Um, but what does this really look like practically, 
right? Because it sounds all fluffy, it's love your enemies, yeah, I heard that before. Um, I don't really know how I'm supposed to do that. Um, and so when you find yourself in another conflict, and I guarantee you it's gonna happen, um, even in a great church like our church, right? We are a great church, yet we are a church, hate to break it to you, maybe it's the first time you're hearing it, but we are a big group of sinners, right? Huge group of sinners. And so conflict is going to happen over and over again, even with people you love, even with people you're close with. And, and you'll be tempted to react by gossiping. You'll be tempted to react by slandering um, or, or speaking harsh words when somebody says something critical about you. Peter is saying here, don't react with the same words of evil. Instead, make every effort, speak grace, by only say what, what needs to be said. Speak truth, speak love, speak well of your opponent when you can, speak kindly, graciously. Um, that's what it means when it says, do not repay evil with evil or reviling with reviling. Right? Don't throw sand in the face as your, as your first response. Um, one of the things that really helps me whenever I'm dealing with conflict is uh, to go out and seek trusted advisors. And, and you know, people who can speak um, perspective, kind of give me the bigger picture so I don't get caught up on the details and, and get all angry and, and throw sand. Um, and so as an encouragement, find, let me just ask, do you have counselors, do you have any, any mentors, any people in your life that you can go to in a situation when you're in conflict and run to them and ask them for counsel? Do you have anybody? If you don't, find someone. If you do, go to them when you have conflict because they will help you see the bigger picture. Um, so you need that encouragement uh, to overcome conflict. Because verse 9, right, it's a hard one. Um, there's no lie in there. This is, a, this is a hard thing. Look at how it ends. It says, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Um, Peter gives us this ultimate weapon to disarming any conflict. And it's not really a weapon. It's love. <laughs> um, bless, don't curse. Right? Try to figure out what your opponent, your enemy, at least in, in your mind or in, in a conflict, what, what's their deepest need, and, and try to find ways to help meet them in that need. Um, when I'm in a conflict, I'll, I'll, say, I'll admit this, it is a lot easier to... Um, deal with it when the need, the greatest need, is to show them their faults, right? That's awesome. That's like, I'm ready. I can do this conflict. I'm ready. I'm jumping in. But what if God's calling you to say words of affirmation? <laughs> Encourage them, right? Love on them. Pray for them. I mean, that comes, that's a little harder to do, right? Um, but that's what we're called to do. And, and notice that the verse ends, uh, it, it focuses on you obtaining a blessing, the focus is on you. It doesn't focus on the results of the conflict. It doesn't focus on how the other person is going to respond to you. It just says that you may be blessed. And so we can't control how other people are going to react. What we can control is how we are responding, how we are reacting. That's what we can control. So respond with good. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. That has been God's posture. He is the, the ultimate, supreme, not chancellor, uh, supreme peacemaker who 
who has made peace with us through a bloody cross. And so the gospel changes our response to evil, but it also changes our response to suffering. Instead of viewing suffering as against God's plan in our our life, suffering might just be part of God's plan for your life. He uses all things for our good, even suffering. And so let's let's read uh, verse, verse 13. Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we, we all get when you suffer for doing something dumb, right? Like when you're doing evil, you deserve it, right? We deserve to get punished. Okay, I can get that. But when you suffer and you're doing what's right, you're doing what's good, and suffering still comes your way and knocks you down, what do we feel? That's not fair, right? That's what we feel. It's, it's not fair that that should happen. Um, suffering is an issue for these churches uh, that Peter's writing to. Um, suffering is a, a huge issue. We know that because the, the verb suffer, to suffer, shows up 12, 12 times out of 42 times in the whole New Testament. So 12 of those 42 times are in First Peter. Um, and it's a letter that's written to those who experience suffering. And uh, no matter what time period that we're living in, the question comes up again and again, probably mostly in our own experience, right? If God has raised Jesus from the dead, right? If Christ is risen, you know, Easter's true, why do Christians experience suffering? Right? If Christ is Lord, as, as our text says, Christ is Lord, He's reigning over everything. He's in control of everything. Why do we experience suffering? Where's the justice in that? Where's their hope in that? And those aren't easy questions to answer. But Peter gives us two responses here in the text. He gives us two responses. He says, first he says, he reminds them that that righteous suffering was exactly the way that Jesus went in order to bring us to God. So he brings the way of the cross up. So on the cross, the, the, the righteous suffered for the unrighteous, the ungodly for the godly. Um, and, and so as we're joined to the same Christ, we suffer like him. The second thing Peter encourages them with is he says that they're to bear with the suffering by not repeat, repaying evil with evil. And this goes back to the point I was making earlier, right? When we suffer, we can't control the circumstances that lead to suffering. We can't control the outcome of what's going on. But we can control our response to suffering. And so Peter's saying, keep doing good. It's better to do good than evil. And this encouragement is, is grounded in the hope of our baptism. So verse 19, he says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison... I'm going to explain that. 
Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Uh, So going back to the spirits in prison, anybody go, what is that about? Anybody wonder? I mean, that's kind of like, I'm curious, right? Uh, So there there are three main views, three main interpretations of that. that, that, that can be summed up in this way. So, so one view says that Jesus preached to uh, the dead in hell. That was the view of the church fathers. Uh, the reformers, their interpretation was that um, uh, Jesus uh, preached through Noah to the people in Noah's day. So that's the second view. The third view is that, and this is a, lo- a lot of modern scholarship, says that uh, Jesus um, preached after his resurrection he preached uh, in triumph to uh, fallen angels. Let's not get caught up in the weeds. All right? these, are, these are three different interpretations. The, the point of all of these interpretations, whatever, wherever you go with in, in each of these, the point of it all views Jesus as proclaiming his victory over powers and principalities. Right? That's the point. And so Peter grounds our hope in baptism. First, he brings up Noah and his family of eight. That through water they were saved. Um, just as they were saved through the waters of baptism by flood, so too are we saved through our water baptism because of the promise of resurrection. God's raised Jesus from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of God. And so we can therefore have confidence that our suffering's only temporary. It's not permanent. So that justice is going to come at some point, And if we're in Christ, like it was in the days of Noah, it will be favorable towards us. We'll be like the safe family of eight because Jesus has won over all powers and authorities, principalities and authorities. Thinking back to Noah, um, how many people remember the movie Evan Almighty? Anybody? A couple people? I think that was Steve Steve Carell, right, was in it. Kind of funny. Um, Totally irrelevant. I don't know why I'm bringing it up other than talks about Noah. Um, <laughs> so, good movie. Um, anyways, people don't dwell on the fact, right, in this, uh, in, uh, Noah. Nobody, not Evan Almighty. Noah. People don't dwell on the fact that it was something like 70 years, right? 70 years for him to build this ark. So, for 70 years, he had to which Evan Almighty does point out, people mocking and laughing at, right? There's like a scene, I think, where people are like, what are you doing, Noah? Like, that's so stupid. Why would you do that? Um, and so, so there, there's that level of, of, of going on. But, but 70 years, right? Noah and his family had to endure the scorn. And, and they, they suffered. And, and they experienced that, that kind of shame, uh, shaming. And they were laughed at. So 70 years, he had to remember the promise of God that God made 70-something years ago, right? All the way till that, finally, the flood came, that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. That's meant to be an encouragement to us, right? To stay faithful even when it's hard. Um, it's meant to be an encouragement that when we suffer, press on. Um, 
what's the place of suffering in your life today? When we live in sunny San Diego, it's hard to complain, right? But what's the place of suffering, right? Um, we don't experience persecution here in San Diego. Um, maybe a coworker might laugh at us. Probably not very often, right? We think that people will laugh at us. Often they don't. Um, so what does it mean to suffer while living in a fairly comfortable place um, in, a, in a prosperous country? Suffering, I think, takes a different look. Suffering, maybe it means we're willing to give up some things or some comforts for the sake of Jesus. Maybe suffering takes the look of serving uh, others more and serving uh, the church more and, and less time in, in investing in only what betters ourselves. Um, the gospel, right, it changes our response to evil. It changes our response to suffering. And the gospel also changes our response to God. Our passage ends with a statement, verse 11, second half of verse 11. It says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Reformers had a saying, Soli Deo Gloria. Anybody know what that means? To God alone be the glory. To God alone be all praise. Right? God is to be constantly worshipped, constantly praised. And that sums up the, the posture of a Christian who's shaped by the gospel. The gospel makes us willing to suffer and serve because this is God's will for our lives. Right? Um, anybody remember the, the popular uh, phrase? It was very popular probably in the 90s. Um, but it kinda, it's kind of maintained. Like it pops up every once in a while. And it's, um, uh, God has a plan for your life. Anybody remember that one? God has a plan for your life. And it's very positive. It's very, like, nice. Um, God does have a plan for your life. According to 1 Peter, right, it's that you would suffer. Ooh, it's interesting, right? But that, that, that's, that's what Peter's telling us, right? He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had. Far better to suffer than to sin. Um, so let's, let's read uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that's past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Um, Christians have always been weird. Just weird. I mean, that's just, that's Christians. Um, in a post-Christian culture, as we're reading Everyday Church, right, as we're, as we're seeing in our community groups, um, Christians are just going to get weirder and weirder, and, and that's okay. Um, let me, I'll just explain something here. Uh, back when Peter was writing this letter, right, it was normal for people to have drunken parties with orgies. Like, that was normal. That was normal. That was pop culture, okay? So Christians were really weird. Um, 
And, and so Peter says, they malign you because you no longer do such things. And early pagan reports of Christians talk like this too. Uh, they said Christians were viewed as lawless and antisocial because they didn't engage in the same activities, the same lifestyle. The Emperor Nero, he said of, of Christians, he said that they are haters of humanity, right? Because they, they were not uh, immoral. Um, as I think on my life, at this time in my life, this stage in my life, it's a lot easier to be a Christian. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working, um, I got kids to deal with all day and, and night, like, I got, I got no time. I got, like, no free time. But when I was younger, and as we think of our brothers and sisters who are young, right, they got lots of free time. <laughs> they got lots of things going on. And, and I think um, we have to remember them. They're faced with a lot of battles regularly, um, lots of peer pressure, lots of constant um, opportunities, people coming along asking for them to join in the fun, and they're giving up a lot when they refuse. And so pray for our youth. Pray for, pray for our young um, brothers and sisters that they'd stand firm in the faith when it's costly, when maybe they don't understand the whys, um, but they're walking in faith and trusting that what God says is more important than what they're feeling. Peter ends with this exhortation. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so when we're faced with evil and suffering, um, Peter wants to direct our attention, right? He wants us to focus on ministering to what's right in front of us. Focus on what's before us. Peter wants us to view our suffering as an opportunity for more service, more prayer. Verse 8, he speaks of love. Verse 9, hospitality. Verse 10, serving. Verse 11, speaking and serving. And focusing on all of these things, they, they glorify God. And so we can give attention to these things because our suffering and our service is not in vain. Right? Just because there's conflict in your life presently, just because you're experiencing suffering in some area, it does not mean that God has abandoned you. It does not mean that God is deaf towards hearing your prayers. On the contrary, suffering and conflict is part of our life in Christ. Um, Jesus, right? <laughs> the most righteous, most perfect man who ever lived. And his life was full of suffering that led him to scorn and death. And so don't be afraid when you suffer. Don't fret when you have conflict. Expect that when these things come along, they will come along. And when they do, view them as opportunities to be faithful and to steward them for God's glory and others' good. Because you have everything that you need to deal with it. Right? Jesus has triumphed over all principalities, all powers, all authorities. And in Christ, you will also. Let's pray.